Right now, you're listening to the Azeem Digital Asks podcast, the podcast where I, Azeem, talk to some of the top marketers in the industry, find out everything about them, how they got to where they are today, and more importantly, sharing some really useful marketing tips that will help everybody listening to this become better marketers. Stay tuned for another great episode. Hello and welcome to the first episode of 2021 of the Azeem Digital Asks podcast, where I talk to some of the top names in the marketing industry and learn more about them and even get a few tips here and there to help you become better at your day-to-day job. If you're a first-time listener and you enjoy this show, please consider liking, sharing, subscribing and even leaving a rating. It all helps. You can find out more about me on Twitter at Azeem Digital or on my website, IamAzeemDigital.com. That's that out of the way. Now, let me introduce today's guest, who really needs no introduction at all, in my opinion. He is the search advocate at Google, very helpful and patient, answering tons and tons of questions over on Twitter and YouTube and just pretty much everywhere, basically. Generally, an all-round nice guy. He is known officially as Johannes Mueller. I'm very sorry if I've butchered that. John Mueller or John Mueller. John, welcome to the show and Happy New Year. Hi, Azim. It's, it's fantastic to be here. Uh, thank you for, for having me over here. You are more than welcome. And I will quickly add for the listeners, just before the recording, John gave me some secret tips to rank higher in specific SERPs for just nineteen ninety five. I can share them with you too. I'm obviously joking. <laughs> oh my God, that meta tag. I never should have told you about it. <laughs> Awesome. Look, let's get right into it. As always, uh, just before we get into learning a little bit more about you, I always ask guests a random question. And for yourself, I've picked this one because I'm very interested to know what your answer is. So if you had an autobiography, John, what would the title be? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I I think, first of all, I, I probably would not write an autobiography. It feels like I kind of miss that aspect of personality that would let me kind of get on with with actually doing something like that. So despite all of the the YouTube videos and the Twitter posts and everything, I, I feel I'm super introverted. So essentially talking about myself for hours, like in the form of a book, would probably not be the top of my list of favorite things to do. So probably I wouldn't have an autobiography, but... I, I guess if I had one, it would be some, some I don't know, some non-exciting title. It's like, I don't know, mostly harmless or something. I don't know, something like that. <laughs> John, for anybody who has been like living under a digital rock and who has no idea who you are, firstly, shame on them. But secondly, would you like to give the listeners a little bit more of an introduction to yourself? Okay. Um, so... I, I thought about this a little bit, and I, I thought it might be interesting to kind of go into a little bit of, of my background, like where where actually all of this kind of came up and how how it got there. And I I don't know, it's, it's, it's hard to find like the right starting point. So I'm starting kind of as like in school, like as you do as kids kind of grow up. And looking back, I feel like I came from a kind of a privileged background, which doesn't didn't feel like it as much when when I was growing up. But looking back, it's it's a lot clearer. Uh, So as a kid, my family moved from Germany to the southern US, so specifically to Alabama and Texas, which is 
I don't know, kind of a unique place, especially looking back. But at the time, it's like, well, it's like, this is this is fine. Like you, you kind of do what you do. Um, we we had computers early on at home, so I learned to to program fairly quickly. There, um, I don't know the the other kids in my family. They they weren't really that interested in computers. So, but for for whatever reason, sometimes uh, kids just don't pick up on on things that you find interesting as parents, I guess. Um, I, I ran a very small online service for a while. Um, for the longest time, I was terrible in school. So I, I, like, I, I struggled to figure out like why I was really bad in school, but it was just like, I don't know, just always bad grades. Uh, it was, it was interesting. Um, probably not that fun for my parents, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> And then fast forwarding a couple of years, we we moved to Switzerland as a family and I finished school there and I started studying uh, robotics and business administration here in Zurich, uh, which which was like, pretty fun. It was like lots of cool stuff to do there. And somewhere along the way, I started my own software company. Uh, so I ran this on the side while studying and uh, took it on full time afterwards. And some of the things that we did there, I thought were super cool and kind of forward looking, like writing parts of the, the UI of the programs in HTML, uh, synchronizing between different locations so that uh, even if you're not working online all the time, you can kind of get all of the data there. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, but at some point, I, I don't know what, what happened. Like the, the company was running really well and I was getting kind of bored. So I started doing more and more side projects, uh, including things like working on the website and helping other people with websites as you do kind of in those days. And uh, right around that time, Google launched uh, Sitemaps, which was like perfect timing is like, John has nothing or nothing exciting to do. It's like the business was running really well, but uh, it wasn't. It didn't feel as challenging anymore. Uh, so I created one of the first uh, Windows sitemaps generators, which was, I, I think, it worked fairly well. It would crawl your website, find all of your URLs, generate a sitemap file for you, and uh, along that way, I kind of slid into the world of SEO, in, in particular with all of the different online forums that were active at the time. So I think that was like around 2005, 2006, something like that. And uh, essentially, that's kind of how I, I moved into that. And with all of the forums, of course, you had all of the people who were like struggling with SEO. And uh, me, like everyone else online, obviously had an opinion on what they should be doing differently. So I was trying to figure some of that out. And sometimes I got it right, sometimes I got it wrong. But uh, it, was, it was a fun time. And at some point, uh, folks from Google uh, contacted me I think that was more just because I was doing so much on on the Google Sitemaps forum at the time, where they're like, "Oh, like we we should just find someone like this to help us talk with people." Uh, so that's kind of how I slid into that part. Uh, I met some of the people from the Sitemaps team in Zurich, uh, which which was luckily pretty close, and uh, then kind of took that big step of going from your own company to working for this big American conglomerate or this, I don't know what, what you call it, like gigantic company, it felt like <laughs> at the time. 
And that that was, I, I think, pretty nerve wracking. It's like, how do you write a CV when your only reference is essentially yourself? Uh, so that was that was kind of challenging. And also, how do you even move from kind of having your own business, being your own boss to working at this giant company with like so many levels of bosses that you'd have to kind of keep happy? Uh, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I think I ended up just going with it mostly because it was, well, it was like probably a good idea to have something else on your CV other than just your own company. So that's <laughs> kind of how I slid into that, I think. Well, what a journey. Thank you very much for sharing that story. Really interesting that, that they reached out to you as well. I think that's proof that hard work certainly pays off. I wanted to just touch on some of that with you then. So did you ever have a moment where you thought, you know what, this is going to be the career for me? What point did you realize that, do you know what, I'm going to make an entire career out of this? I I don't think I, I really had a moment where I, it's, it's like it crystallized and I was like, oh, this is exactly what I want to be doing. Um, but it was in in part, I think moving to, to Google was also just kind of like having a bigger picture and kind of understanding the bigger picture a little bit more. So it was less that this particular is going to be the right thing, but rather that there seems like a reasonable step to take as a next step. And I, I never really had in mind like, well, this is the end goal I want to reach. Like this is the career I want to have at some point. Yeah, yeah. What about then, you have a time machine right now and you can go back to when you very first began in the industry, right at the beginning, but armed with all of the knowledge that you've got now. What advice would you give to yourself on day one or what would you do differently? Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, there's a, a part of that is feels like an, an obvious approach would be to say, well, I have this kind of information that if you just did these specific things and you would earn a lot of money kind of things like more the the focus on financial aspects um i i think that's something that's that's always very tempting in the sense that oh you should have created more websites while you had a chance or you should have invested in this or bought more bitcoin or something something crazy and I think Eric Schmidt at some point, uh, especially when I was when I joined Google, like he was still around. So he used to say that revenue solves all known problems. So basically, like if you earn a lot of money, then you can figure out what you can do. Which I don't know. It it never felt like something where I was like in in a situation where I, I was like, oh, I just need to earn a million dollars and then I'll be happy, kind of thing. So. I think even having an opportunity to go back and say, oh, you should have just bought Bitcoin while they were $1, uh, I, I don't think that would really change much for me. Uh, the, the one thing that looking back where I think I kind of held myself back a little bit uh, in terms of doing, I don't know, ha having a bigger impact overall is uh, being active as a manager. Uh, so especially when I had my own company, we, we had a bunch of people that were working there. And uh, to me, running the company was just 
like a lot of busy work. There was a lot of bureaucracy around uh, keeping a company running, um, making sure that all the employees are happy, making sure that all the bills are paid, all of the kind of the day-to-day work. And that's something that I actively avoided as much as possible after joining Google. And I think that's something where uh, over the years, as I've been a manager there for a while now, I've started to realize like I I shouldn't have avoided this uh, for such a long time. Uh, So kind of the um, desire to go off and uh, be more of a manager type person rather than just always trying to do hands-on work. I think that's something that maybe, especially in in my career at Google, I I could have given myself the advice to not fear being a manager as much. And especially now, it's like the the team is fantastic. They do fantastic things, and uh, I I get a lot of strength out, out of them and uh, out of seeing how. They're kind of doing these fantastic things, and it's not so much that my team is competing with me for attention, but rather it's like as a group, we're able to do some really fantastic things. And uh, that's, I, I think, the aspect that where I might, I, I could have given myself a little bit more of a nudge in that direction, saying like, well, it's like being a manager at Google is not like running your own company. And there are lots of teams that help you to be a good manager at Google. So it's something you maybe shouldn't fear as much. Awesome. Very interesting answer. Thank you very much for sharing. I was going to ask you some of the things that you've picked up throughout your career, but I think you've covered that very nicely. Uh, Let's move on and let's talk about inspirations then. So over the course of this podcast, I always ask guests who inspires them in their career and in this industry and exactly the same for yourself John throughout your career who would you say has been a big inspiration for you yeah i i don't know i i i think part of the the inspiration side is always tied a bit to the i don't know imposter syndrome in the sense that uh, especially when you work at google there's so many people who are just so much smarter than you or who you feel like are so much smarter than you that it's like, on the one hand, you can use them as inspiration, but on the other hand, it's also really scary because you're like, well, what am I even doing here in the company of all of these super smart people? So that's something that I think, especially in in my career at Google, has been a bit of a challenge in that I see some people that are doing really fantastic things, but at the same time, it's almost kind of scary in in how they're doing all of these cool things. Uh, one of the, the people, I think, like slightly before joining Google that had a big uh, impact on kind of, the, I think, the way that I interact with people online was Eamon Jones. Eamon Jones. Um, I think he's, all, he's also from the UK. Um, we... I, I kind of ran across him in some of the early uh, site owner forums uh, where I think he was like known as Black Knight or some, something along those lines. Like back in those days, everyone had pseudonyms and nobody knew who was really behind those names. <laughs> uh, so that was that was a big change, I guess, over the years. Uh, but one of the things I, I learned from him in watching how he interacted with a lot of the people online in the forums at the time is that sometimes answering someone's question isn't the answer that they actually need, uh, but rather it almost ends up distracting them more from the answer that they need. 
And it's something that you you see a lot online uh, where you see people asking questions like, how, how do I do this? And the right answer might be like, maybe you shouldn't be doing that at all. Maybe you should be doing something completely different. Uh, so I don't know, for example, like how do I generate a sitemap file for my millions of domain names uh, where technically there are ways that you could kind of like do that, but practically maybe having a million domain names is the wrong approach because probably what you want is to earn a lot of money and diversifying across a million of domain names might not be the right way to kind of get there. Uh, so in in math, I think you have kind of the concept of like a local maximum where you can say, well, it's like you can kind of reach a local maximum here, uh, but the global maximum might be somewhere completely different. And that's something that I, I see all the time online, especially around SEO questions, uh, where people will ask something very specific because they have a kind of a small goal in mind, uh, but taking a step back and thinking about what is their actual goal, which might be to, I don't know, get more money or be more visible. And uh, then focusing on that larger goal instead of that small goal helps to, I don't know, get them closer to the actual goal. And sometimes I think it's annoying for people because it's like, I just asked you how to create a sitemap for a million domain names, not for life advice kind of thing. <laughs> uh, but I, I think it's still important advice to give to people. And I see this all the time on in the YouTube office hours where people will ask me a question. I'm like, I... I think you're running kind of this set of affiliate domain sites and maybe you should be focusing on something different. I could answer that question kind of directly, like what, what you need to do as a next step there, but maybe the advice that would be more useful for you is like, maybe you should be focusing on something different. And uh, I think that general understanding of Sometimes answering the question directly is the, the wrong way to approach a question. Um, that, that's something that I really learned uh, quite, I don't know, quite visibly from Eamon Johns over the years. Awesome. I'm sure to be very happy to hear that from you. Um, and the point that you made there about answering questions online and talking to people online leads me very nicely to, to my next question, which is, John, who, in your opinion, is doing great things in the industry right now that you're really interested in when they get in touch with you or when you see their work, you're thinking, this is some really interesting stuff. Who is that for you? Um, obviously, it's uh, just Izzy Smith. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, of, co of course, he's also doing good stuff. Uh, but I... It's like I, I didn't want to mention any, any specific names. Uh, it feels like especially at the moment, or maybe in this year in, in particular, it feels like the industry has really grown from uh, focusing so much on individual names and faces to kind of being active as a diverse uh, set of people. And I think that's, that's really kind of what makes it interesting for me is that you're not interacting with individuals who are very strong and very smart. I mean, they are out there, of course, uh, but it's it's more that it's just like much more diverse than it used to be. And I think part of that might be because all of the events kind of shifted to an online format and suddenly it's a lot easier and a lot more accessible for anyone to be out and be active in, in events and be a little bit more visible. Uh, so I think 
that's that's kind of coming into play there a little bit. Uh, the other thing that I find really, really interesting at the moment is that there are just so many different aspects of SEO that are important. And it feels like they're getting acknowledgement that they're all kind of important in their own way. Uh, so that includes things like creating really fantastic content, uh, doing things to promote that fantastic content, kind of in the name of link building, uh, which I think has gotten a bad reputation over the years. But there are people who are doing things that are really fantastic in that regard. And of course, everything around technical SEO, which uh, which is always one of my favorites because it's kind of like that technical aspect of like you tweaking something, you seeing those effects uh, fairly quickly. I think that's also really really cool to see. And I think all of those new new names as well, they kind of also bring in uh, new inputs, which which are greatly needed. Uh, there's a lot of diversity that's coming in there, uh, be it with regards to gender or race or location or backgrounds. And I think that that's really what makes SEO so interesting. It's like when when you talk to people online, they're not the same as you just on the other side of the planet. It's like they, they really have a I don't know, unique background. And uh, they've done some interesting things. They have some kind of interesting experiences over the years. And all of that makes it, I don't know, more more fantastic, I think, to, to be in, in the SEO industry at the moment. So it's not individual names that I'd like to call out. It's just more the broad mass of different people who are active. I think that perfectly summarizes why most of the industry, in fact, the entire industry probably sees you as one of the nicest people out there. Very nice, safe, I will say, but very, very nice answer from you there. Let's talk about your role then. So what would you say right now is the biggest challenge that you've got with your role and how do you plan to get over that? I, I think one of the challenges is that it's hard for me to even define what my role is so <laughs> that that kind of makes it tricky it's like what when when people who don't know about the seo world ask me like what, what do you do at google and it's like i don't know it's like i'm, I'm somehow sneaking by um but like apart from that i i think like Challenges tend to come up almost weekly on, on our side. And it's something where sometimes they're focused on specific products or policies or different kind of changes internally uh, that you have to figure out. And I, I'm pretty okay with most of that. So that's not something that I'd like, I don't know, re really worry about those kind of usual challenges. The, the bigger challenges, I think, are the ones where uh, it's there's almost an effect on the entire industry, and uh, it's all about. In, in a lot of cases, it, is, it feels like the the whole online world is still fairly new, and it's still fairly unknown from uh, with regards to kind of the the government and policy side of things. Like, what what should we do with all of these things that are happening online? Uh, there are a lot of uh, traditional industries that are out there that are still kind of struggling with that move to going online and finding ways to kind of sustain their industry online. Uh, so with that, there are a lot of questions around privacy. Uh, there are a lot of questions about monetization, about like how how do you interact with the, the online world as it is. And it feels weird because 
like if if you've been doing SEO for a while, then it's like, well, it's like SEO has been around for decades now. Like, why are all these people acting like it's something completely new? But it's still the case that a lot of the the government policies and guidelines and laws are still kind of focused on that pre-online world and making that transition to really understanding what makes sense to do online. That's that's kind of hard. Uh, so that's that's one thing I'm I kind of see as a challenge overall for our industry in that there's still all of these like policy battles that are taking place and some of them are things where where people can give input on and kind of help the government to make I don't know smart decisions there and some of those smart decisions will be things that kind of make your life harder um, but. It is how it is, I think. Um, so that's kind of one aspect. The The other aspect that I, I think is always challenging is kind of the, um, I don't know, the split between web-based online activities and apps, uh, where from from our side, of course, when we're talking about search, we're kind of focused on, on the website. It's like you, you put an HTML page up, Someone can crawl it. We can index it. We can guide people there when they're searching for that content. Uh, but what if you don't have an HTML page that's associated with your content? Maybe it's hosted on WhatsApp or, I don't know, TikTok or some other platform uh, that doesn't have normal HTML pages. Then how does a search engine kind of interact with that? And how does that play in with kind of the... Uh, long-term picture of the web, where it's like, if you take this technology and fast forward 10 years, like what, what would the effect be? And that's something where I, I don't really know what, what the answer there will be, because I, it feels like there's always been this kind of trying to find a balance between apps and web or uh, kind of the, the open content and the closed ecosystem. And there are definitely pros and cons to both sides. So it's not that there's one clear answer, but it's like always kind of drifting a little bit more in, in one direction and then changing focus and drifting a little bit more in the other direction. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just thinking back to what you mentioned earlier about the uh, local goals and, and global goals, was it? I think that, that rings true there, certainly. I wanted to touch on as it is a, a lockdown podcast and at the time of release, it looks like the UK is going to be in like lockdown 68. Um, how has, has COVID affected you professionally and how have you responded to that? Yeah. I mean, luck, luckily I haven't had any kind of direct medical effects uh, in, in that regard. So that's at least one side where I, I kind of count myself lucky. Um, the the office here closed, I think, fairly early uh, when things were still kind of heating up. Um, so that side, I think, has been fairly safe. But a lot of the activities that we do uh, as a team or individually, that has significantly changed. And that has been pretty challenging. So, uh, for instance, for this year or well, for 2020, uh, we had planned a, an event series of, I think, like over 50 events uh, to take place over the course of the year in locations worldwide. 
um, which we we finally got everything approved. We got the budgets lined up. We got a lot of the work lined up. And then essentially in March, it was like, well, actually, you're going to do none of these events. And that was like re really, I don't know, annoying on the one hand, but it was like really really shocking to to the team in general because we we spent a lot of time lining up these events and planning the events getting uh, the right speakers set up so that they would be able to travel to individual locations all of that and uh, that was that was quite a challenge to kind of adjust to that and in the beginning it was still like well maybe like I don't know in the fall you know in the fall everything will be okay again it's like how long can this lockdown thing last surely not longer than a couple of months right it's like well I don't know here we are it's mm. still here uh so that I I think that has had a massive effect on the team and that's something where some people are like online events are never going to take take over physical events therefore I'm not going to do any online events at all which I, I don't know, is a stance you could take, but it obviously also means that the team has to do completely different things. Um, that's that's the one thing, I, I think, from, from a practical approach for from the team side. Uh, the other, I think, is is more of a personal thing where I, I see this, at least for myself and also other people all, all around, uh, where visiting the office has been really inspiring most of the time. So I have about an hour commute to the office each way. And in the past, I would pretty much try to go every day. Well, Monday through Friday, at least. Um, <laughs> not so much on the weekend. Uh, but I, I, would, I would try to go, go there because it's just uh, kind of being in an office with uh, a lot of these really smart people. It's very inspirational and it kind of gives you a bit more drive to actually do some things. And uh, so that's something where in, in the past I was like, well, if I can go to the office, I, I'll try to go there. Even, even with that commute. Uh, during the commute, I, I'd have time to listen to podcasts and things like that, which kind of dropped away now. I don't know. It's kind of awkward. Uh, but <laughs> it, I, I don't know. That kind of working in the office drive, that I found that really, really useful for me. And switching to working from home all the time is has been really challenging. So that's something where even, I don't know, even now sometimes... Uh, it's, it's something where it's, it's just like, it's just hard kind of going from one room to the other and suddenly you're in the office and then you end up being in the office even when you're not at work. And it's like, it's just so, I don't know, su such a struggle to kind of maintain uh, that office vibe when you're not really in the office and the kind of like, I'm just playing around on my computer in my own time vibe when you're actually still in the office kind of thing. And uh, so that's, that's something that I found really struggling. Yeah. Uh, completely agree with you there. I think there's, there's two things that I just wanted to add. I think in terms of events, absolutely switching to online has been both a, a gift and a curse essentially, because we can still have the events, but as as we mentioned before, we got to recording that. Then the networking side of that has really suffered, which is a shame because you can't really replicate like an in person experience online in terms of networking. Though lots of events have 
tried in my opinion it's not quite the same as somebody who enjoys meeting new people you know hello how are you what do you do it's harder online and speaking of someone who has spoken at events as well it's it's really hard to read a virtual room when it's just you in it and you can't see behind the computer screen somebody could be passively listening or not paying attention or you know they could be texting on their phone whereas when you're in a room with x amount of people you can read their reactions and sort of feed off the room and tailor the rest of your content essentially to how people are responding so that that's been difficult and then in terms of remote working absolutely I think certainly in the UK from what I've seen large parts of the industry really weren't ready for that and it just happened suddenly and they had to adapt forced adaptation essentially but there were so many things coming out where it was like look yeah you know we can go back to the office in like June or we can go back to the office in in August and I think as you mentioned when you talked about your events so hard to plan I've certainly not lived through anything like this you talked about a whole year's worth of events which just got cancelled very hard but hopefully with the news of vaccines and everything else return to normality is on the horizon yeah, I, I think the, the return to normality is kind of like seeing that it's out there is is one thing, but it's also useful to kind of realize that it's it's still going to be a long time until then. And it's not yeah. going to be an easy time with like, I, I don't know, just uh, all of the non-scientific aspects around uh, the the whole situation as well. It's like people not wanting to take vaccines or like, what do you do when like 30% of the people have taken the vaccine? Can you do events then? Like, what do you require? Is is lots, lots of open questions, but uh, it'll be, I, I guess, I, I guess it's at least useful to know that there's a path out now. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very tempted to ask you about, you know, how Google's going to prevent the spread of misinformation, but I'm sure you've asked uh, even lots of questions like that. But essentially, like you said, there are some Ticketmaster, I think it was, said that now you need to prove that you've either had the vaccine um, or returned a non-COVID result in a test to access events, which maybe is one route out. But again, I think we could spend the rest of the podcast talking about COVID and everything else. So we'll quickly move on. I wanted to ask you about self-development and what does that look like for you, John? How do you take time to help yourself develop? Yeah, I I don't know. I It's, it's always a bit uh, tricky. I mean, on, on the one hand, uh, they're kind of the, the manager side of things, which uh, I, I think I should probably focus on a little bit more uh, but I I really love kind of online well not online um, on hands kind of type uh, type work where I can try some things practically out and I, especially I like challenging technical things where you can kind of try something out learn something new and see right away if it's working or not uh, so that's something which I think sometimes in, in the SEO world is, is a bit challenging in that you you make some changes and then you wait a couple of months to see if they have any effect. Uh, but I, I kind of like the, the puzzling aspect of like trying to figure something out and seeing right away if it works. So one of the things I've, I've started doing on, on the side is messing around a bit more with electronics. Uh, I 
could never really figure out how electronics worked. Uh, back in the days, even when I studied robotics, is like everything around electronics was this big black box that I had no idea about. Uh, I I still can't figure most things out, but uh, I've I've learned a lot of things along the way, and I I think I I kind of took the the mental leap and said, well, this is something that I'm doing just purely to keep my brain kind of active and to kind of exercise my brain muscles uh, rather than it has to lead to some useful or practical effects. Uh, so I've, I don't know, spent a lot of time trying to figure out uh, how, how some of these electronic devices work. I've, I've spent time kind of messing with building small displays, keyboards, uh, different things, even making printed circuit boards with microcontrollers and kind of really tiny parts on them. Uh, and that's, I don't know, it's something where I'm not really in the sense of like practically developing something specific or learning something specific that I need for my career kind of thing, but it's more uh, kind of developing my my brain muscles, I guess, kind of like seeing it like that. So that's something that uh, I've I found pretty useful and helpful to... I don't know, leave like the, the career side of things a little bit on the side for a while and practice something completely different. Yeah, I think I've seen one or two things that you've posted on Twitter, which just look insane, far beyond the realms of anything that I could do, but it looks awesome. Before we move on to questions from the listeners, I wanted to ask you a couple more things. The first one is all around the topic of failure. So what would you say let's say, in the last 12 months has been the biggest failure for you? And why do you think that it happened? I I don't really know. I mean, it's, it's like, on the one hand, I don't want to come across as like, oh, I do everything perfectly, but it's, I, I can't pick out any particular item where I'd say it's like, this has been a big, big failure. Um, I, I think a lot of the things that uh, I would looking back might say, I was like, well, we could have done this differently, uh, especially w within the company at Google overall is something where I'd say kind of like, well, we, we kind of, or at least I kind of decided to go in that direction for, for different reasons. Uh, so w one of the things, for example, that, that I run across, uh, every now and then is that, well, Google is obviously a US-focused company or US-based company, and a lot of its activities are in Pacific time zone, uh, which means from, from a practical point of view, it means that uh, whenever I want to convince any kind of higher-ups of specific activities, I end up having to go to all of these late evening meetings. And I, I really don't like late evening meetings. So it's something where... On the one hand, I could say, well, it was a failure that I wasn't able to convince anyone at Google to go down this direction, which I think we kind of lost an opportunity on or where I think we, we lost a lot of, uh, I don't know, friendliness online by going down a different path. But on the other hand, it's like, well, I saved myself from a bunch of meetings, which is also really nice. So kind of like that balance between, well, I, we could have done a little bit more in that direction, but I would have had to make a big trade-off there. Uh, so that's something where, I don't know, it, it feels like 
you could see it as a failure, but on the other hand, I'm I'm pretty okay with how things turned out. It's not that going back, I'd say, well, we should have done things differently. We we could have, but it's it's hard to say that it would have been very different now. Yeah, absolutely. And I couldn't agree with you more. Less meetings is always a winner. The different time zones thing sounds interesting, I'll say. <laughs> Yeah, that's. I think that's the biggest struggle that I always have with, with things as at Google as you kind of progress up up the ladders. It's like I'm I'm not like actively trying to drive my career upwards or anything like that, but it's it just happens over time. Um, you you just end up having more and more of these meetings in in evening times, and is is just so I don't know. It's, annoying and not not being able to kind of have a normal evening on i can imagine the last one from me before we move into questions from the audience and full disclosure this is where i'm really hoping for an exclusive so no pressure (laughs) but the official question is what are you working on right now what am i working on right now so I, I've been on vacation for the last two weeks, so it's basically uh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's mostly at, at the moment I'm, I'm working on like various small electronic projects, which, which are kind of fun. And maybe they'll be finished by the time I have to go back to my normal day job. Um, we'll see. Uh, it, with regards to the, I, I think at Google at the moment, I, I think we're kind of in that weird, well, at least for for my team, uh, we're kind of in that weird in-between stage in that we've done some really fantastic things and the next batch of interesting things is is just coming up. So it's not that we're like currently doing something really fantastic, um, but uh, especially the, the big uh, site migration that we did, that's something that was lined up for a really long time. Uh, that's something where I'm saying, well, it's like it's, it's settling down fairly well. Uh, one of the interesting things there is that we actually uh, got involved with the the internal SEO team at Google to get their help with that site migration. Uh, so that was that was kind of interesting. And I think one of the things we'll probably end up doing uh, at some point is taking the the work that they did or the help that they gave us there and turning that into a blog post or maybe highlighting a little bit better what what the Google SEO team does. Um, because they don't have all of the secret information either. So it's like that meta tag I told you about before the uh, <laughs> recording. It's like they don't they don't know about that one. Um, so it's also kind of the the thing of like well even at Google someone has to think about SEO. It's not that once you work at Google automatically you do all of the SEO right. Uh, because if you look around at all of the different Google products, you see a lot of things that are done in kind of a weird way when it comes to SEO. And you might think, well, they're done in a weird way, but surely they don't know what they're doing. And probably it's just they're done in a weird way because we don't know what we're doing when it comes to SEO. So that's like everyone has to figure out how SEO could be done. Um, but uh, other other than that, I think there's nothing really specific that uh, that I'm working on. Mostly, I guess, practically speaking, it's more about making plans for the next year, uh, which is still kind of ongoing, but not, it's like that one launch that is waiting around the corner, the announcement of the meta tag. 
<laughs> awesome right i have a few questions for you from the listeners thank you very much for sending them in and where people have left their names i will absolutely mention them so the first one i won't mention the name but the question just says is izzy smith nice in real life yes absolutely <laughs> you can guess who said that <laughs> I, I i have no idea who, who that may be but is izzy is uh always fantastic it's like always curious asking more questions uh keeping people on their toes and i don't know it's, it's all around nice guy well nice girl <laughs> nice person Awesome. The next one is from Ilana Kisos, and I'm sorry if I've pronounced your name wrong. And I wanted to ask, what do you think would be the academic and career path that you would suggest to someone today to be a top-notch SEO and digital marketer? I don't know. It's uh, it's hard to find like that one career path that will lead to being a top-notch SEO because, like, like I mentioned in between, there's so many different aspects of SEO, and you don't need to do all of them. Uh, so it could be that maybe working to understand kind of the programming aspects, the technical side of SEO is something that makes a lot of sense. It could be working to understand content a lot better is something that makes sense. So learning, I don't know, journalism or English or some other language, uh, that's something that can be really useful. Uh, there's also, the, the whole marketing side of things, the digital marketing side, where a lot of the traditional marketing aspects also play a role. Uh, and I think that can also make sense. So um, my, my general advice there, I, I think, is to try to figure out which aspect that you really like and find a way to kind of like dive into that aspect. And the other advice that that I would probably give in, in a case like this, where you're kind of like way in the beginning of the whole journey of like, what, what should I study to become a top-notch SEO kind of thing, is not to focus too much on the end goal. And instead to kind of focus on the, the aspects that you like at the moment or that you feel you can handle at the moment. And over the years, as you kind of figure more of that out, you'll undoubtedly uncover various opportunities that, that end up in your, in your direction. So it could be that maybe you end up doing SEO work. It could be maybe you end up doing something completely different. Um, maybe you end up kind of trying to focus on a technical SEO side of things, and then all of a sudden you start doing computer science and you work as an engineer at a search engine, which is another way of doing SEO, I guess. Uh, but it's something where like just purely focusing on the end goal is something that is easy to lead to situations where you end up being unhappy, where it's like, well, I did all of the right things and how come I can't get a job at this one thing, one kind of specific role that I wanted, where maybe like that one specific end goal that you had wasn't really what you needed, but rather it's like some inspiration to find some other kind of work that you actually want to do. So I, I guess the short answer there is it depends. And it's something where I would focus more on what you want to do at the moment, what kind of uh, activities you find challenging and interesting at the moment, and build out from there. And over the years, you'll figure out 
Like, is SEO really what you wanted to do? Or is this something, maybe something completely different that you find just as challenging and interesting, which you've kind of uncovered on your path there? Yeah. Awesome. Thank you very much for that. Uh, we managed to get this far without saying it depends until then. So that's really good. <laughs> I've got two here from Rebecca John. Uh, the first one is, if we keep responding to algorithm changes by swapping our search term focus, are we stopping the AI from learning as effectively as it could? I I don't think so. I mean, on on the one hand, um, I I don't think there's this like one magical AI that tries to figure all search out. So. That's kind of like, as an aside, maybe, maybe that assumption is wrong. Um, but also, the, the sites that SEOs work on, they make, make out a small part of the, the whole web overall, and a small part of the general mass of users that use the internet. So it's like, you could be focusing on your small things and making tweaks there, but I think the bigger picture that's something that uh, still remains as something that's like harder to influence uh, on an individual level. Uh, so I'm kind of okay in 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 that regard, in the sense that it's like if you're optimizing your website on a day-to-day -day basis based on the current algorithm setup, it's like maybe that's not the best long-term approach, but it's probably not going to cause that that much problems either. The other thing is, like I mentioned, is like there's not this overarching AI that just figures everything out on its own. Yeah. Uh, but rather, there are a lot of people that are involved with search, and they make a lot of decisions along the way. And uh, a lot of times, those decisions go against kind of what an AI would learn. So if you tr trained an AI to say, well, we just want more people clicking on search results, then you would end up with something that just shows clickbait titles all the time because it's like people obviously click on those, uh, but it's not really a good experience. It's not really something where you're actually learning something from you interacting with the search engine. So someone has to go in there and say, well, on the one hand, we want people to interact with search results. On the other hand, we also want to make sure that we're kind of staying true with our general goal of making information accessible and useful. And uh, making information accessible and useful is something that isn't really directly uh, tied to just people clicking on search results. So finding those, those balances is something that people have to be involved as well. And it's not just some AI that magically makes decisions based on whatever is published at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks very much for that detailed answer the second one that rebecca wanted to ask was around inclusiveness in serps so she wanted to ask who is responsible for pushing forward inclusiveness in serps for example is it our responsibility to train the algorithm through our content about non-generic gender terms for clothing or is it a waiting game for the algorithm to catch up i i think it's a bit of both and it's kind of similar to to the previous question in the term, uh, in the sense that there's no AI that just magically makes that decision, uh, but rather there are also people involved. And on the one hand, um, making sure your content is kind of aligned with what what currently we see as something that that is relevant. Uh, that's something that you can do uh, as a site owner. Um, kind of also trying to stay on top of, I don't know, you might call them trends or like 
different changes in societal norms, I guess. Uh, that's something that you as a site owner can also do. And on the other hand, the, the algorithmic side of search, uh, that's something where I think the algorithms at Google, the engineers that are working on those, kind of the decisions made along those lines, that's something that has to take place in parallel as well. And that is something that we do work on. So it's not like always a waiting game, either or kind of thing, but it's something that everyone can kind of work on. And uh, I I think from, from a personal point of view, that feels like something that everyone should be working on individually. And it shouldn't be left to like one person or company making a decision and saying, well, it's like now you should be more inclusive kind of thing. And then everyone's like, oh, inclusiveness is a ranking factor. Therefore, I will do it. Mm. It should be something that you should do uh, kind of independently of all of that, where if you realize that this is the right thing to do, then you should be doing that, even if it's not a ranking factor in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. And then the last one, this one's from me, which I was thinking about, but while I've got you, I'm absolutely going to pick your brains about it. <laughs> There's been lots of murmurings in the news about Apple potentially making moves to launch their own search engine. Uh, presumably as a rival to Google. What are your thoughts on that? I don't know. It's So so I, I think in, in general, overall, I think it's fantastic to have more search engines out there. It feels like, I don't know, Google has done a ton of things really well, and that has resulted in kind of this, this weird focus on Google. But having more search engines out there, I think, in general, would would just make things a little bit more interesting in that uh, different people looking at this problem in different mindsets, uh, looking at kind of the queries that come in in different ways, I think that would improve things overall for all sides. So uh, on the one hand, more competition means it might be harder to kind of, uh, I don't know, do things that, that we want to do on our side. But on the other hand, it also means that for users, having more of a choice between which search engine or which service that you want to use um, makes it so that all sides kind of try a little bit harder. And I think it's something that's already kind of taking place. It's not just like search engines in general, but people go to different places for different reasons. It's like if you're searching for music, maybe you'll go directly to YouTube, maybe you'll go to Spotify or some of the other services and search for that music there, you wouldn't necessarily go to Google to, to try to find that music. Maybe you can, maybe it's not the best place to go. Similar for if you want to buy something. It's like a lot of people would just go directly to, I don't know, Amazon or some of the other big uh, shopping sites and say like, well, I'll search for that product there because I know that if I search on this shopping specific site, I'll get shopping results instead of just like general blog posts about this type of product kind of thing. Uh, so that's something that's already kind of taking place a little bit there. And having more competition, I think for, for us as Google, on, on the one hand, kind of makes it harder, but it also keeps us on our toes a little bit more, which I think is a good thing overall. Uh, from the kind of external SEO side of things, I, I think it'll be challenging because you kind of end up in that situation where uh, suddenly you have different 
kind of potential platforms that you could be focusing on and finding the right platform to focus on and doing things in a way that work well for that platform and maybe the others that you're not really focusing on uh, can be a bit tricky to figure out. So my hope is that uh, the kind of the open web content kind of thing uh, where you make HTML pages and they can be crawlable by any search engine, that's something that will remain relevant. And hopefully other search engines, when, when they get more popular, um, they will kind of use similar methods to uh, let people specify their, their preferences, which could be like the robots meta tag, which is something that, well, Hopefully, other search engines will also respect that and treat it in the same way. Uh, but there are also a lot of more, I don't know, technical and complicated aspects that are involved there, like handling the canonical, handling international content kind of thing, where there's like there are a lot of small decisions along the way that led to how they are now. And some of those decisions were made on Google's side. Some of them were made on, I don't know, who else, who else's side. And making it so that... Uh, overall, when anything new launches, that that's kind of valid across all of these different platforms. I think that is is always going to be a bit of a challenge, and that's something we we've tried to focus on uh, for a while as well. Um, well, for a while, I think since since the beginning, trying to make sure that whenever we uh, announce something specific, that we make it in a way that is useful for everyone, and that includes things like structured data, which is uh, primarily done with like the schema.org markup, which anyone can pick up on the pages. Uh, also, the robots text file, which uh, like Gary on my team has been working to make into kind of an, an internet standard. Um, and all of these things that they just work across the board for all of the search engines. So regardless of if it's Apple that's coming up now or if Yahoo comes up again or Bing uh, becomes more popular, which I, I think they're doing fantastic stuff too, um, like all of these, essentially from, from an SEO side, I, I hope we can make that in a way that you don't have to optimize for each individual search engine individually, but rather that you can create your open web content on your, HD, on your server in HTML, and it just works automatically reasonably well across all of these different platforms. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really interesting answer. Thank you very much for sharing that. You'll also be pleased to know that that ends the search specific questions of the podcast um, <laughs> sadly we are coming to the end of the podcast but i do have a couple more for you this one is essentially like an open forum for yourself so if we swap roles right now what question would you ask yourself that i have not asked you already i i thought these were a pretty good questions so <laughs> I, I don't have anything uh specific that uh i i'd still add there yeah i don't know Nothing really comes to mind. Awesome. I will take that compliment and move swiftly on. <laughs> uh, last one from me then. So when you want to get super productive, uh, some guests have listened to music. So if you do listen to music, uh, what is your preferred song artist playlist? If you don't, how do you get sort of deep into your productivity zone? Yeah, I, I think that, that has changed a bit, especially the music side. So I, I really love listening to music on the side. So... That's something where, like, wor working at home, I almost always have some music playing somewhere. Even in the office, I'd have my headphones on. Um, and I, I think in the past, I would always listen to 
I don't know, 80s or 90s rock music, that that kind of thing, which is like, I don't know, from from the past. And what one thing I've noticed with all of the, I don't know, the the lockdown stuff, or I don't I don't know where it really came from, but I've started listening to a lot more uh, electronic music in the sense that to to me it's like more that driving beat rather than like the individual lyrics that you listen to but it is kind of like you don't have to listen to it specifically you just kind of like that background uh rhythm that keeps you kind of focused and keeps you going uh so that's something where i i don't have any particular artists or any particular I don't know, playlists that, that I listen to. Usually I just open up Spotify and search for something like, uh, I don't know, electronic music or something like that and just play whatever comes there. And uh, that, I, I don't know, it just keeps me focused a little bit more rather than having specific lyrics of songs that I know and that I've kind of grown up with kind of thing. It's, it's more, I don't know, that, that background drive rather than uh, kind of the familiar lyrics or songs that you know yeah awesome thank you very much for sharing that uh sadly we are at the end of the podcast just from me a massive thank you for taking the time out uh, and taking part in this i am absolutely sure the audience are going to take a lot of value from this if people wanted to find out more about you or get in touch with you what's the best way for them to do that I, I think Twitter is probably the easiest. So just John Yu on Twitter. And like people tweet at me a, a ton of stuff all the time. I don't have a chance to keep up with everything. But uh, if you kind of like try it a few times, then usually I'll notice and uh, try to find an answer for you there too. As I mentioned, uh, John, thank you very much for taking part in this podcast. Really, really, really appreciate it. Uh, the last word, as always, um, and the last word on the first episode of 2021 goes to you. So all yours. Oh, wow. Thank you, Azim. No, it, it's been really fantastic to to join this podcast. I, I particularly liked being able to record it, like, especially on my holidays kind of thing, where it's it feels a little bit less a, attached to, to particular work, which... I don't know. It, it just makes it a lot more comfortable. Uh, but it, I think, like looking forward at 2021, um, the the aspect that I I really hope kind of uh, ends up working out well is that uh, the kind of the the value of all of the diversity that's been building up over the past years that that continues on. That we we continue to see a lot of new faces in SEO bringing new. Uh, information or new aspects to existing problems into the world uh, in 2021. And partially also uh, kind of that balance of figuring out what works well online and what works well in a physical event. Uh, So that's something that I, I really look forward to, kind of finding the balance of making events so that you don't need to be physically active in in that one location at that particular time, but also you can be if you want to be. And I think that will make it a little bit easier for more diverse set of speakers, more diverse set of attendees to join a lot of these events, which I think is a good thing overall. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I think 2021 is going to be a tough year, 
Uh, so it's not that it's like, oh, well, the vaccine is here and everything will be fixed next week kind of thing. But there's still a ton of work that needs to be done to kind of return to something, I don't know, reasonably similar to what we had a couple of years back. But uh, it's like challenges are, are interesting work as well. So it's uh, something that people who take on those challenges are hopefully going to see some rewards of the, the work that they do there. So I'm really looking forward to it. So that was another great episode in the bag. I'm really enjoying hearing from some brilliant people in this industry. If you enjoyed this podcast, please follow me on Spotify. Please leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you are using. Tell a friend to tell a friend and hopefully see you for the next episode.